Let's start in 2 Timothy for our theme verse for the year. We just introduced it last week. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, here at Grace Baptist Church, this church has been here for about 61 years, and there's been a lot of teaching that's happened here in 61 years. So we've learned a lot of things. We've been assured of many things. We, we believe every word of this book. Is that right? Amen. We know many things that we're supposed to do. So the idea of our theme for this year, let's just continue. Let's continue Whatever, wherever we are. And what's good about a passage like this is it hits all of us wherever we are. It doesn't matter how far along you are in your Christian walk. You need to continue. You need to take that next step. You need to grow in the Lord and in the knowledge of His Word. So now, here's what we're going to do. This Sunday, we're beginning a new series through the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, the second to the last book of the Old Testament. So let's go there. Zechariah chapter 1. <clears throat> now, I do wish that I could make this more exciting than it's going to be. <laughs> this first message where we lay the groundwork and explain the background of the book, some of you are going to have to listen on purpose Teenagers, <laughs> get your Bibles, get a notebook, uh, rip a map out of the back and write on it or something. We'll, uh, we're we're going to be studying this book. You say, Pastor, what in the world does Zechariah have to do with continuing in the work of the Lord? What does that have to do with it? Everything. Everything. That's what this book is about. It's about continuing. So what I want to do, I want us to go to Zechariah chapter 1. And we'll read the first six verses because that kind of lays the groundwork for the book. So Zechariah chapter 1, and look at verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord uh, unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying... Uh, let me read that again. I, I, I left a word out. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us." Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, what a timely book this is. 
So, Lord, please help us as we dive into it, as we begin to try to understand what you have for us at Grace Baptist and this time period, Lord. Please help us to learn from your timeless, changeless word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if we're going to study this book of Zechariah, what's in it? What are we going to find in this book? Well, it's called the Apocalypse of the Old Testament. Now, the Apocalypse is generally uh, considered the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And why would this Zechariah be called the Apocalypse of the Old Testament? There are ten visions in it. Ten visions. And the book of Zechariah is considered to be the hardest book in the Bible to understand. But we're going to try to understand it. Amen? Amen. We're going to go through it. We're going to study it. We're going to compare Scripture with Scripture. And by believing what the Bible says, by comparing it with other words and phrases in the Bible, we will understand it. Now, will there still be things in it that we don't understand? Yes. Yes. And what does that mean? That means that I'm just not smart enough to understand some of it, but God will teach us. Amen? It's going to be fun. This is really going to be an amazing thing. Why? Listen to what's in it. Many people feel that Zechariah is the most messianic book in the Old Testament. Other than Daniel, it tells more for the Jews about what's going to happen than any other book in the Old Testament. Other than Isaiah and Psalms, it tells more about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, than any other book in the Old Testament. It says more about the Messiah. It's one of the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets. It says more about Jesus than the other 11 minor prophets combined. We'll talk about minor and major prophets here in a little while, maybe, if I remember. So, what does the book of Zechariah tell us? It tells us that the the Messiah is presented as the branch who will remove iniquity. He's the shepherd, the stone, the coming king. It talks about his triumphal entry on a donkey. It talks about him being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It describes his crucifixion, his second coming, and as he returns, they're going to look on him whom they have pierced. That's what it says all the way back in the book of Zechariah. You ready for this? We know the exact date of its writing. We're going to look at that in a minute. Zechariah contains more messianic prophecies than all the other minor prophets put together. Zechariah focuses on the day of the Lord, the return of Israel in unbelief. They're passing through the great tribulation, their their deliverance by the King, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it also helps us understand who Mystery Babylon and prophecy is. It's an amazing book. So who is Zechariah the man? Who did God use to write this book? Now, let me just say this. When we study a book of the Bible, we will look at the penman that God used to write the book. But who really wrote it? God did. But the men that God chose, it's very important that we understand why He chose them. What did they bring to the party? What do they have? So who was Zechariah? Well, Zechariah was born in Babylon. Let's look at some passages to try to figure out who he was. Uh, Go keep your place. Put a, a marker in Zechariah. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you. You're going to need a Bible in your hands today. All of you young people, I want you to make sure you got your Bibles ready because we're going to go through and and the Bible's going to tell us who some of these people are. So go back to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So you have 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12. You know what? Let me do this in a little bit different order. Now that you've found Nehemiah. 
how do we want to do this? All right, here's what we're going to do. In, to, in order to understand... <laughs> well, I'm the worst teacher in the world, man. <laughs> People try to take notes from me. Impossible. But here, scratch out whatever heading you just had. And what we're going to look at now is the, the historical background so that we can understand the book, of, the book of Zechariah. We can't even understand who he is without understanding where he came from. All right, so go to Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. Sword drills, that's right. And look, if you don't know where some of these books are, that's what the table of contents is for. Um, Zechari- or Jeremiah chapter 25. Let's look at verse 9. Jeremiah 25, 9. God had been telling the children of Israel, look, you need to obey me. If you don't obey me and keep my feast days and do the things that I'm telling you to do, I'm going to punish you. And God had told him that over and over and over again. How many of you think we ought to believe what God says? Amen. Right? So now look at what it says. Jeremiah chapter 25 and look at verse 9 or verse 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who's he called? My servant. And will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. Now, that's not very good news, is it? So now imagine God comes to the United States of America and he says, look, because you haven't listened to me, I'm going to make you desolate. I'm going to destroy you completely. How many of you think America would listen to that? They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. But if God said He was going to do it, would He do it? Yes. Yes. So now let's read on. Verse 10. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. How long? Seventy years. And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. All right, so now go to Jeremiah 29.10. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So here's what God says. I'm going to remove you from the land for seventy years. And then after seventy years, I'm going to allow you to come back to the land. That's what God said, right? Now, how many of you think that we ought to believe what God says? So what happened? He removed them from the land, and after seventy years, He allowed them to go back into the land. He did what He said. So now, go with me to Ezra. Ezra. Chapter 1. Notice that we saw in Jeremiah Jeremiah 25 that Nebuchadnezzar, is God calls him my servant. Now, how many of you think that, that Nebuchadnezzar was a great believer in God? No. But did God use him? Yes. I want you to notice something. Ezra chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Now in the first year 
of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, why, why is that relevant? Because the Babylonians conquered Israel. And then the Persians conquered the Babylonians, just as Daniel chapter 2 said would happen. All right? Jeremiah 29, God said, or Jeremiah 25, God said that he was going to destroy Babylon after the captivity. He did that through who? The Persians. The Persians. Now, keep your place in Ezra, keep your place in Ezra, and go to Isaiah chapter 45. I just got a new Bible. I haven't started using it yet because I've got to transfer notes, and I've got three ribbons in my new Bible. Is that cool? So all these places. So now you guys are going to have a harder time putting markers in all the places that we're going to go. All right, Isaiah chapter 45. To me, this is one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. You see, that's the same man that we saw in Ezra chapter 1. Same guy. And look, he calls him his anointed. There's going to be a couple of other things said about Cyrus here that might surprise you. See, many times when we look at politics here in the United States, we look at politics, we think so much about what that particular person believes. All right? What do they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about the Bible? What do they believe about these things? Now, it would be nice if all of our leaders from city council members all the way up to presidents and Supreme Court justices, wouldn't it be wonderful if every one of them was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Does that have to be in order for God to accomplish His purposes? No. Let's look at this passage. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to His anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before Him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two, le the two leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. Okay, so what's he saying here? He's going to allow him to conquer everybody. It doesn't matter what kind of gates they have. It doesn't matter what kind of power they have. Cyrus is going to be able to conquer everyone in his path. Why? So he'll know that he's the God of what? Israel. Israel. Now look at the next verse. Verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, Cyrus. I have surnamed thee. Look at what it says here. Though thou hast not known me. You know, it's amazing. Cyrus was doing God's work and he didn't even know who God was. That's amazing. That's amazing. Then look at what it says. Verse 5. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from, rising, from the rising of the sun... And from the West, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. All right, so there's only one God, and it's the God of Israel. It's the God that we worship. Is that right? There's only one God. Here's a king. He is a Persian king. 
He doesn't even know who God is. And God has anointed him and called him and strengthened him. And then he's made him a victor in war. Why? Why? So his people Israel can go home. So go back to Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 again. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. How about that? You might want to write a cross-reference there to Jeremiah chapter 25. Because God told them that He would destroy Babylon. He told them that, didn't He? And so, how many of you think that Cyrus had read the book of Jeremiah and said, you know what? I need to be sure and fulfill Jeremiah. You think that's what happened? No. What happened? That king was doing what he thought was good for him, but his heart was in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord turned it. Why? So that the Lord would fulfill the prophecy that had been given by the mouth of Jeremiah. You see that? God's word is true. You can believe it. You can believe it. Then look at what it says. Um, let's read the whole verse again. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me, look at what it says, to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So God had led Cyrus to build a house for him, for the one true God, in Jerusalem. And so now Ezra is being sent to accomplish that. They go back. The people are led back. Now remember what's happened. They've been in, Israel, they've been in Babylon, Babylonian captivity, for 70 years. Now, 70 years. How long ago is 70 years? 1940-something? 70 years ago? How many of you have been born since... Now, my math is terrible. Am I right? Is it 1940s? Is it 1943 would be 70 years ago? How many of you have been born since 1943? Okay, look around. You'll see who the old people are. Okay? So, uh, those, of you who have been, <laughs> those of you who have been born since 1943, imagine what it would be like now to be taken back to the country that you don't know anything about. You've married people here. You've lived here. Your, your businesses are here. Your life is here. Everything you know is here. But now you're supposed to go back to Jerusalem from Babylon. You're supposed to go back, but a lot of people didn't want to. Only, there were more than a million people that were taken. Only 50,000 went back. 50,000 went back to the land. And when they got to the land, it was hard because the people that had been taken out of Israel were the educated people, people that could read, the people who understood the law. The, the uneducated, the illiterate stayed. And they ended up marrying among the Canaanites. Because remember, Jerusalem and Israel was all destroyed. So they end up marrying among the Canaanites. And so what group of people came about? The Samaritans. The Samaritans. So now the children of Israel, they go back. They go back into Israel and they're going to build the walls and they're going to build the temple. And the first thing they do when they get back there, they just make little houses just enough to keep some shelter over them. And the first thing they do is they build an altar to the Lord. Then they're going to start building the temple. Within the second year, the foundation to the temple is being laid. And they're worshiping the Lord and they're so excited to be back there. But let's go to Ezra chapter 5 and let's see what happened. Or Ezra chapter 4. 
Look at verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel. Now who was Zerubbabel? He was the chief governor. Zerubbabel is the one who was... Uh, who the king had lead the people back into the land. So you had Zerubbabel, the governor, and you have Joshua, the high priest. Not Joshua, the son of, not Joshua and Caleb. This is Joshua, the high priest, much later. All right, so let's look at what it says. Um, Verse 2. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Asarhadon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. Now look at what it says in verse 3. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, had commanded us. All right, so here's what happened. Here these people are who they are not true believers, but they said, hey, we worship the same God you do. Let's all just work together. How many of you think that sounds like today? Why can't we all just get along? We all worship the same God. It doesn't matter. If there's only one God, it doesn't matter whether you're a Hindu or a Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim. It doesn't matter what you are. There's only one God. Let's all just work together. No. No. Because those people don't know the one true God. How could we ask people who don't know God to help us build this church? You know that there are unsaved people who have lots of opinions about what we should do here at Grace Baptist? And we'd be kind to them if they spoke to us. We wouldn't be ugly, but we just wouldn't do what they said. Why? Because we have orders from Jesus Christ written in the Word of God. Zerubbabel, Joshua, they had orders and they were following those orders and they understood that separation from the gods, the false gods of the land was vital to have a pure temple. They understood that. So, what happens... When the people who want to come together, they want to influence you, and you say no. What happens? They just say, okay, go on. Do it. God bless you. Even though, even though we understand, we're tolerant. We understand completely that you don't believe exactly the same we do. And we, because we're multicultural, because we believe in diversity... We're still going to pray for you and hope that God will bless your ministry. Is that what happens? Look at the next verse. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. And look at what they did. And hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. What did they do? They tried to defeat them. Listen, they tried to defeat them theologically. They couldn't. So now they're going after them legally. And it's the same type of a situation that we're dealing with today. You must accept, look, we all believe the same thing. Let's just work together. Well, we can't because we believe something different. Okay, we're going to sue you. We're going to stop you in the courts. Is that right? That's what they were doing. Now look, look, that's why it's so important that we have godly people 
who are lawyers, who are attorneys. So th- I, I was just on the phone with Terry Hamilton, the Lighthouse Legal. I was on the phone with him this week. Why? Because there, like, we got some letters from the state saying that we're supposed to do some things. Man, I don't understand the law. I don't know anything about it. So I called Terry Hamilton. He said, this one I need you to send him and we need to file. The other one I need you to file in that little round thing that's on the floor. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I'm glad we have counselors. Amen? Praise God for that. But they hired counselors that were against them, and that's exactly the way that the world works. Have you noticed there's nothing new under the sun? Have you noticed that? All right. So then, drop down in verse 7. In the days of Artaxerxes, wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabiel, and the rest of the companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Okay, so Cyrus is off the scene now. Artaxerxes is king. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. So he goes on and what ends up happening? They get all of the, uh, the tribes around them to write a letter to the king to say that these men are seditious. These Jews are seditious. We've got to stop them. They're trying to undermine what you're doing. So look at what it says in verse 23. Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter... And so the king wrote a letter saying that they had to stop building the temple. Now, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto, look at what it says, the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So for the reign of Artaxerxes, they couldn't build the temple. A little while later, now Darius is king. So go to Haggai. Zechariah, you have Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, right before it is Zechariah. Right before that is Haggai. Anybody bored to tears yet? It is interesting how relevant the Bible is, even in these Old Testament prophets. And we see what's going on. So here, the enemies of the work of God have hindered the work. Is that right? They tried to do it spiritually. They couldn't do it spiritually, so they did it legally. They did it legally and by force, and so the work of God was stopped. But look at what happens. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. In the second year of... You know what? I want you to see something cool. Keep Haggai. Go back to Ezra. (laughs) Go back to Ezra. Is it awful having a pastor with ADD? All right, go back to Ezra. We looked at chapter 4, verse 24. Let's read that again. How many of you think I should have written down some notes? That would have helped, wouldn't it? Okay, Ezra chapter 4, verse 24. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Then the prophets, Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Jerusalem, or in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of uh, Jozadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. Okay? So now, here you have these guys, Haggai and Zechariah. So now go to Haggai chapter 1. 
I want you to see how this is all tied together. Even though they're in different places in your Bible, God has woven this story through so we can understand what's going on. We have to get this to understand what's going on in the book of Zechariah. Haggai, chapter 1. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Okay, so now, what's going on? This is how accurate your Bible is. This is how detailed it is. This is August 29th, 520 B.C. That's the date. So if you take their calendar and you put it over onto our, our calendar, that's the date. August 29th, 520 B.C. That's pretty detailed, isn't it? So he prophesies, Haggai preaches four sermons... In four months. That's what he does. How many of you would rather hear me only once a month? That would be way better. I'll just make this sermon a month long and then we'll all be happy, right? So here, that's what's going on. Four sermons. And what is he doing? Well, the children of Israel, remember, Cyrus had decreed them to go back to Israel. And they're starting to build the temple. They get some opposition. When the opposition came, they had to stop building the house of the Lord. They had to stop building it. But then a few years later, they were able to build it again, but they had lost their zeal for it. They got busy. They had other things to do. And here in Haggai, it tells us what they were doing. See if this sounds familiar. Verse 2, Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time, or is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? So here's what's going on. Look, this isn't the time to build the temple. We've got other things to do. Now is not the time. Apparently, God doesn't want us to do it. This isn't the time. So we're going to work on our stuff. So they were building their own houses. And the, this sealed house, I had to look that up because I didn't know what it meant. You know, did they have saran wrap around their houses or what? What was, what was that? They had paneling in their houses. So they were making, they were building not just a, a shelter. They were building beautiful homes and putting that before the work of the Lord. Does that sound like America? That's where we are. Now, praise God. I'm glad I get to live in a nice house. Laura and I, um, Laura was cleaning. We did some new cabinets in the house. And so she has a new pantry. And so she's been, and Laura is misorganization, right? So she's cleaning out places that had already been cleaned. And she's reorganizing things that had already been organized. But while she was doing that, she found this box of old pictures. So she started looking through them and she sewed some of them to me yesterday. And we saw our house at different stages of the construction while we're looking at pictures of the kids. And I'm so glad that work is done. It was a mess. That, how many of you have lived in remodeling before? You've lived in it. It's not fun, right? Uh, Aaron, are you in it right now? Or are you guys kind of through it? Okay, good. So the, a lot of us have done that, and it's not fun. But that's what was going on in Israel. And the people were investing in their own houses and not doing anything for the house of the Lord. Not doing anything for the house of the Lord. And so Haggai preaches four sermons over four months. And you know what happens? 
God brings revival. God works in the hearts of the people and they listen. And they do set about to rebuild the temple. And within six years, that temple is rebuilt. It's finished. And people begin worshiping God. And God Himself comes to dwell in that temple with the people. And that's an exciting thing, isn't it? So what is the book of Zechariah about? Zechariah begins prophesying, listen, two months after Haggai. So there, while Haggai is prophesying, so is Zechariah. Haggai is motivating the people to do the work, and Zechariah is encouraging the people in the work. That's what Zechariah is about. That's what he's about. So now let's go to Zechariah. Zechariah, and we'll leave off on some more of the background. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to produce a chart for you so that you can see who was prophesying when and how does this fit in. How many of you seeing that in front of you would be a whole lot easier than just listening? All right, so I'm going, to, I'm going to produce that for you so you can have it in your hands and we'll, we'll get that done. But let's, let's get into this text just for a minute and try to get something from God today. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet, saying, Now, what we do many times is we read past stuff in the Bible. Is that right? So let's, let's go right here to chapter 1 and verse 1, and let's look at a couple of things. I want you to look at the message in their names. How many of you remember when we've done that in Genesis? We've looked at the names, and God gives a sermon. So here's what we have, and you might want to write this down. Zechariah. Zechariah's name means Jehovah remembers. Jehovah remembers. And that's what God is doing in Jerusalem right then, isn't he? Jehovah remembers. Then the name Edo, I'm sorry, the name Berechiah. Berechiah means Jehovah blesses. So Jehovah remembers and Jehovah blesses. Do you know what Edo means? In his time. In his time. So what's the message of Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1 just in the names? Well, first of all, Jehovah remembers. When God promises you something, when God tells you something, He doesn't forget that promise. Isn't that wonderful? And not only does He remember, but He blesses. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. He loves you. He's promised you things. He remembers you and He will bless you in His time. Amen. How many of you think that there were people that maybe after 35 years in Babylon, they'd had enough? You know what? God, can you show us some mercy? And you know what God would say? I showed you mercy for 490 years. Now I'm taking back my years. So you're just going to have to wait. I will bless you. I will bless you. What did God say in Jeremiah? I have good thoughts for you. I have good plans for you. In His time. You know, I think about my mom right now. She's been moved to another hospital. And uh, she's a little more alert. She's still on dialysis. She still has the trach. We're not sure what's going on. I want God to take care of it right now. But God's going to bless in His time. Without any details. Without any, how many of you have something right now that you're wishing God would take care of immediately? Would you raise your hand? 
God will bless you in His time. In His time. But do you know what the prerequisite to that blessing is? Look at our text. Verse 2, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. What's he talking about there? Sore displeased. We may look at that definition of sore and track it down in the Bible another time. It just means he was really displeased. He was really displeased. Remember when they saw the angels and they were sore afraid? Very afraid. God was very displeased with their fathers. Why? Because they didn't listen to his words. Right? So what did he do? Put them in captivity for 70 years. Verse 3, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now how many of you see repetition in that passage? What's repeated? Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. He, what, what does that mean, Lord of hosts? The, when you see the idea of hosts in the Bible, that's armies. So he is the Lord of of armies. He's demonstrated that by raising up Nebuchadnezzar. He's demonstrated that by raising up and empowering Cyrus. He's demonstrated that over and over and over again. When we see armies amassing, we just need to trust the Lord because He can do whatever He wants with those armies. Amen. Is that right? How in the world in 1967 did Israel defeat Egypt? Had to be God. The, those military leaders that were there said there's no way that we could have accomplished this. We couldn't have done it. It was God. God will accomplish his purposes, that's the Lord of hosts. That's why Exodus 14, 14 says, Be still, the Lord will fight for you. Be still, the Lord will fight for you. He is the Lord of hosts, that's what it's about. And so he's introducing himself as that in this book of Zechariah. What's repetition in the Bible? Volume control. Don't forget, don't forget, he is completely powerful. He has no equal he has no adversary. He has no one that can even bother him. It's only through his mercy that anyone even takes another breath. I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the Lord of hosts. And he says, look, Jehovah remembers. Jehovah blesses in his time. But what's it going to take for that to happen? Your fathers didn't listen. Now speak to the children of Israel and say, look, I'm coming back. I'm speaking to you again. Here's what you need to hear. And look at the message. Look at the message. It's the same message that all of the prophets have given. Thus saith the Lord, verse 3, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Look, do you know what turning is? It's repenting. The message of the prophets has always been, Repent! Repent! And, and this, I don't have time to get into the theology of Calvinism. The theology of Calvinism basically says that what God does is God converts you and then you believe. That's not what the passage says. Turn you and I will turn. So what God is telling the children of Israel who've left off building the temple, you're going this way. I'm over here. You're going this way. Here's what you need to do. You need to turn and come this way. And God says, and I will turn and come to you. That's what he says. Now, how many of you want to be blessed of God? then you need to turn to Him and then He'll turn to you. I wonder if you're here this morning and you know that God has asked you to do something. It could be a behavior that He wants you to stop. 
It could be some doubt that He wants you to bring to Him. It, it could be a burden that He wants you to lay down and give to Him. It could be that God wants you to uh, serve in a ministry. And you, the Lord's just impressed you with this belief that you need to, well, serve in Awana or teach a Sunday school class or be involved in discipleship or just be involved in outreach. It could be that God has something specific. It could be a person He's put on your heart that you're supposed to give the gospel to. Whatever. A behavior, a sin that you know that you have in your life that you've not repented of, that you're continuing in. Look, God says, if you want me to bless you, you need to repent. You need to change your direction. Now, in another message, we're going to take and track that down through the Bible. Do you know that something, that, that the emphasis in the book of Hosea, or in the book of Zechariah, is righteousness and holiness. It's turning from iniquity to righteousness. Turning from sin to righteousness. Turning from evil to holiness. And when we do that, what does God do? He blesses us. He blesses us. Now, how many of you want God to bless the United States of America? Amen. Amen. Uh, how's that going to happen? When we turn to Him. How's that going to happen? <laughs> Look, the broader population is not going to turn to Christ until believers do. The, uh, now, you say, Pastor, is that going to happen in America? I doubt it. But other people in America that God can bless? Absolutely. How many of you want to be one of them? Amen. Turn to Him. Repent. Turn to Him. How many of you can see how this ties in with continue? That's it. I'm so excited about this book of Zechariah. God has a message for us in 2013 that He wrote in 520 B.C. How's that for a letter taking a long time to get to you? Yeah, and so here's, how are we going to tie this in with us today? I'll just tell you this and we'll be done. What is happening in the book of Zechariah? The people have just gotten back in the land, but they're unbelieving. What's going on in the world today? His people have just gotten back in the land, but they're unbelieving. Do you see how God has a message for 2013 from the book of Zechariah? Let's pray that God will speak to us. I wonder what direction you're going that God wants you to turn. I wonder what it is. It's amazing how a message like this hits everybody in the room, including the speaker. That's the power of God's Word. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Help us to continue in it.